The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to This is Catholicism on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Jason Gordiano, and on this episode, I'm joined by Father Philip Eldracker. Uh, welcome, Father, and thank you for joining us again. Hello. Now, on this episode, we'll be going on to the next article in the Harv's Catechism. We are in Part 1 on Faith, Chapter 2, The Chief Truths of Faith. Now, the ninth article, The Holy Catholic Church, The Communion of Saints. And specifically today, we'll be starting Section 1, on the church and the form of her government. We invite you to follow along if you have the book. There is a link to the PDF in the episode notes. So as uh, last episode, we uh, we had the Holy Ghost. Uh, we kind of continue on from Pentecost here with uh, question number one, Father. Uh, what did the apostles do after they had received the Holy Ghost on Whit Sunday? And also, what is Whit Sunday? Well, Whit Sunday. To, to answer that question first, is another name for Pentecost. It, it's called Whit Sunday, I believe, because the confirmands in the early days of the church would be confirmed on Whit Sunday, White Sunday. Whit is sort of a, a shortened form of white. And so they would be all in their white robes. So it was it was called Whit Sunday uh, for, for that purpose because of the the solemnity that used to be given to, to confirmation. Unfortunately, we don't see that quite so much anymore, but in the old days, confirmation was a big deal, especially in the early church. They would they would go around wearing their white robes for the whole octave of, of Pentecost. Uh, but as to what the apostles did, that's a little different. They went out and essentially spread the, the faith to the, the greatest extent of their ability, to everyone that they met, to the entire world, uh, which in that time was mostly the Roman Empire, but the apostles did go further than just the Roman Empire. Uh, St. Thomas went into India, and uh, St. Philip towards the, the Russian uh, regions. But primarily they went to to fulfill the command of Christ to go forth and teach ye all nations. And that's what they did. They went out into the whole world, preaching the gospel, baptizing those who believed. And then once the persons believed and were baptized, then the apostles essentially took care of them. They they formed communities of Christians, and that was the, the beginning of the, the modern establishment of the hierarchy, the hierarchy and organization of the church, where you have churches and parishes under bishops and under priests, and the priests are under the bishops and the bishops are under the pope. So that, that all really dates back to the time of the apostles, and that all began after they received the Holy Ghost on Pentecost. Question two. 
What arose from these congregations of believers? It was what we ended up with from the the work of the apostles were communities of Christians, which were individual churches. You had a church, which was in, the, in those days the meeting place of the Christians, where they would offer the Holy Sacrifice to the Mass, and there would be preaching, and essentially a community life distinct from the, the pagan life or the, the Jewish life of the day. And it was a Christian community where everyone there was, now we would say they were all Catholics, but in those days there, there, there were no false claimants to the, to the title of Christian, so they were just called Christians after, after our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we see in the, the Acts of the Apostles, the beginnings of the organization of Christian Christian life was that they lived essentially all on charity. They would come to the apostles and they would give all of their goods to the the church, essentially, and then the church would distribute things as necessary, the, the food and the clothing and the necessities of life to all, all of the people. And that was we saw that a little bit in the last episode that we had uh, Ananias and Sapphira came up and uh, <laughs> claimed that they had given everything to the church, but Saint Peter knew through an inspiration that they had not. But the reason that that was such a, a serious thing to to essentially pretend that they were being generous is that many people were doing just that. They would sell everything that they had, and they would give the money to the apostles for the support of the the the, chur- the church the, the christians mm-hmm. and also to help further the the work of the spreading of the gospel because even in those days i don't suppose that uh, travel was free today it certainly isn't but even in in those days you had to to pay the row the rowers on the ship uh <laughs> to to get you where you needed to go and so there there was in and there still is a, a certain expense in the the work of preaching the gospel, and so the the people in those days were, in a sense, more generous. They they believed the gospel, and they they truly did live the gospel. Which nowadays we have so many distractions. We have our cars and our television sets and our jobs. And back then, everything was much much simpler. You could focus much more of your energy towards the salvation of your soul and the perfection of your own spiritual life. And so one of the things that we see in these early Christian communities is the beginnings of the the Catholic religious life, where the people got together and they wished to follow the, the teachings of the gospel to the greatest possible extent. And so they would give all their goods to the poor, and they would live a life of poverty, a life of chastity, and a life of obedience to, to the counsels and directions of the apostles. And that that is really the beginning of the religious life of the church, which has, of course, flourished over the centuries, and now that, well, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, <laughs> there were many, many religious orders, and really thousands, perhaps even millions, of 
religious who were trying to follow the the counsels of Christ of poverty, chastity, and obedience to the the most perfect way possible. And two, one of the things that that arose from these congregations of Christians were the persecutions, and the the persecutions occurred very soon after the the ascent of Christ into heaven and the the apostles going out to, to spread the gospel. Most of the apostles didn't live very long after the mm-hmm. after the uh, ascent of Christ into heaven. Uh, it's uh, Saint Peter is believed to have died around 65 A.D., which is really only about 30 years after after Christ ascended into heaven. So for the persecution to rise up so strongly over the entire Roman Empire after just 30 years is in a way a proof of just how busy the apostles were going around and how many people they had converted if after 30 years Nero can martyr thousands and thousands of Christians just in Rome itself. And so that's one way of just seeing how much the apostles were able to accomplish, and that is a a sign of the divinity of the the Catholic faith is that, or the divine origin of the Catholic faith is that these twelve fishermen, or maybe eleven fishermen and one doctor, or tax collector, so they they did have <laughs> various professions, but most of them were very simple men, and the fact that they were able to go before all of these noble people and all of these intellectual people, uh, St. Paul going to Athens, and even that they were able to convert people in Rome, which was one of the centers of of knowledge at that time, and that they were able to convert so many of the the people is a sign that the, the origin of the church is from God. And two, you have the the actual persecution itself, normally when uh, people are being killed for expressing a belief in something, most of the time that does not encourage other people to stand up and say the same thing. (laughs) But with the case of the Christian martyrs, that's what would happen. There would be a martyr in the arena in Rome, and they would be being martyred in some absolutely horrible fashion. They would be having boiling lead poured on them, or they would be being scourged or boiled alive or something like that. And then hundreds of spectators from the crowd would jump up and say, I'm a Christian too. Why aren't you persecuting me? I want to be a martyr too. And <laughs> that is something that is just impossible to explain by, by natural natural means. It's, it's truly a sign of the divine origin and the divine protection given to the spread of the church. And so that that was another thing that resulted from the the work of the apostles was the indirectly the the persecutions, which was the the counter movement against the the spread of the gospel. But uh, the persecution eventually ended after a period of trial it was about three hundred years, and then with Constantine and the Edict of Milan, the the church became freed, and then after that it spread even more quickly than during the times of persecutions. And it, the Roman Empire went from probably 90% pagan to 90% Christian in 
even just a hundred years. Wow. And it, it was very amazing to, to witness that. And so that, that is a sign of the, the divine origin of Christianity. Some of this you've covered, but number three, what further did the apostles do when the communities of Christians increased? Well, it, it's from a purely practical standpoint, the apostles needed help. <laughs> the, you, you hear of, or you read of in, in sacred scripture, the Acts of the Apostles especially, the St. Paul goes to Corinth, St. Paul goes to Athens, St. Paul goes to, to Cyprus or Crete. He goes to all of these places. He goes to Rome. There's talk of other apostles going to Spain and someone even going to England and to France and to India. And the apostles were constantly traveling. They didn't really stay in one place with the exception of St. James, who was the Bishop of Jerusalem. He stayed for the most part in Jerusalem until his, his martyrdom, and he was the first of the apostles to be martyred. But there became a need to have assistance in the, the work of spreading the gospel and preaching and teaching and administering the sacraments. And so the apostles ordained priests to, to assist them in their work, but they also ordained bishops. And one of the two, actually the two great examples of that, which we see in sacred scripture itself, are Titus and Timothy, each of whom St. Paul dedicates an entire epistle, at least, to each of them as they are bishops of their respective churches. And so in, in his epistles to Timothy and Titus, we see that St. Paul is writing to, to Titus as an example, and he's speaking to Titus about the priests who are under Titus. And Protestants tend, tend to, to say that everyone is, is equal before the sight of God, and anyone can get up on Sunday and preach the gospel, and that's, that's just quite the way it's supposed to be. But if we look in sacred scripture, we see that there is a a certain order. There's there's the the apostles, and then under Saint the apostles, and in this case Saint Paul, you have another bishop who is. We'll take Titus as our example again, and under Titus are others, and Titus is responsible for the conduct of these these priests, who are in turn responsible for the conduct of their faith the faithful under them, and Titus is responsible for the conduct of his the priests under him to Saint Paul, and so we see the the beginnings of the vast hierarchy of the church, which has grown over the years to include many, many, many priests, bishops, and cardinals. And the the growth of that comes from the very, very beginning of, of the church, even from the Acts of the Apostles. During the time of the Apostles, there were so many Christians that they couldn't take care of them all. And in a, to a certain sense, we have that, that same situation today. There are faithful all over the world who don't have their own priest. And so a priest travels in perhaps once a month or once a year even sometimes, depending on how remote the area is. And if there were more priests, that wouldn't be necessary. The, the faithful would be able to have a local priest everywhere throughout the world. But it just has not yet been possible to, to send a priest to everyone in the world in our own times. But there is that idea of of a hierarchy where you have bishops, and then the bishops ordain priests, and the priests go out. And the, the priest's primary function is to 
to assist the bishops in in the the offering of mass and the distribution of the sacraments to the faithful so you have the bishops who are in a sense the the modern replacements for the apostles who who have the the fullness of the priesthood and the ability to confirm and to confer holy orders and then they are assisted by the priests who are very similar to the the 72 disciples of Christ which are spoken of in, in the gospel and how Christ sent the disciples before him to the places that he was going to preach as sort of an introduction to to mm-hmm. to him and as a a means of reaching more people than he could himself go to, go out to see because there are only so so many people that you can talk to at any given time so to have others convey the message in a sense for you is is very useful for the spread of the gospel and so the apostles as the catechism question here says they they chose the book says elders and that's something that i think we should discuss in a a little detail but for, for now we'll just mention it but they they chose out certain people and they ordained those people bishops and they became bishops of a particular place. So you have uh, St. Titus, I believe, in Crete, and Apollo in Corinth, I believe, and different different bishops that the apostles consecrate are left in different places to govern the church in that area. And so these bishops were also to, as we mentioned earlier, to ordain priests and to even appoint successors to themselves, because this, this goes back to, I guess, a general argument that Catholics tend to have with Protestants is whether or not Christ really founded a church or whether he just came to redeem us. And we have in the Acts of the Apostles and the epistles of the, of the New Testament proof that, yes, the apostles appointed successors to carry on their work and their mission from Christ to the end of the world. It wasn't something that was to just start with them and end with them. And so that, that's something that we can, we can find in sacred scripture itself. But as, as far as the, the elders go, I think, mm-hmm. I think Protestants tend to, to like the idea of elder, and in most of their Bibles it's always translated elder as opposed to priest or bishop. And yes, in a sense, they were elders. It, it was not a newly converted person who would be immediately appointed to be a bishop of Ephesus or something like that, or a major city, or really any city at all. It was someone, not necessarily old, because Timothy and Titus, whom St. Paul consecrated bishops, were not, they were not old men, they were quite young. So much so that I think one of them was confused as St. Paul's son at one point <laughs> in in the preaching of St. Paul. He would go around with with them, and they thought that, I think it was Titus, was the son of St. Paul, and he had to correct the, the, uh, the people he was speaking to. So th- the idea of them being elders is more elders in their knowledge of the faith and their progress in the spiritual life and their experience with living life as a Christian. Because obviously, and in the, the early days of the church, when you had 5,000 people being converted all at once, they, they were all 
doesn't matter how old they are, they're all new to the idea of living a Christian life and living according to the gospel. So the apostles would eventually, they would wait a little while, but then they would choose the most, in a sense, the most mature and prudent in the faith to be the the, the bishop of the, the place. Question number four. Were all these several communities united with one another? Yes, yes. There, there was always a very, very close union of of the Catholic Church. So much so that Saint Paul speaks of alms being offered by the faithful of one church for the needs of the faithful in another church, or prayers being offered by one group of Christians for another group of Christians. And not only were they united by charity, by helping each other and praying for each other, but also everything was the same. The, they had the same sacraments. The, the, the Mass was the same. They, they formed a, a hierarchical order. There was a sense of obedience to the, the apostles and ultimately to St. Peter. And that, that united them more strongly than, than any other religious group. So, for instance, you have the Protestants, and depending on where you go, they really have no one that they're responsible to. They, you have the, the pastor of a church, and the only one he's responsible to is his congregation. If he makes them, I guess, have a, a good religious experience, he's good to go, and he can continue being pastor. If they don't have a wonderful religious experience, that's the end of his term as pastor. And the church, the Catholic Church, doesn't work that way. You have the idea that this particular priest or this particular bishop is appointed over this this particular group of people, and the people are, are supposed to obey him, and he, in turn, has to obey the higher authority, the the church, the apostles in the early days, and the apostles were continuing the work of Christ. So it all really boils down to a an idea of obedience to Christ as he is the head of the church. And, mm-hmm. of course, after Christ's ascension into heaven, Christ was, in a sense, personified, and the authority of Christ was personified in St. Peter as the head of the apostles. And so the whole Christian world waited on the decisions of St. Peter and whatever St. Peter decided as far as what disciplines should be observed, that was done. And, and a very good example of that is the conversion of Cornelius, the, the pagan Roman, who at the beginning, St. Saint Peter didn't even want to go near the Gentiles. They, he was a very Jewish Jew, and the, the whole idea of speaking to the Gentiles even was considered unclean, and that was not something that a pious Jew would do. But St. Peter actually received a vision saying, not in quite so many words, but the vision showed him that the gospel was to be preached to the Gentiles as well. And once St. Peter announced that to the faithful, they were very receptive in that they, of course, had to, to work at it a bit to, to overcome so many years of prejudice. But the idea was proposed by St. Peter as coming from, from Christ, from God. And that was it. Once he had told them that, that was what was done. And after at that point, 
that was when Gentiles began being accepted into the church. So it, it shows the the authority that St. Peter had over the church. And so the the whole church essentially rests on the authority of St. Peter, which is from Christ himself. Question five. What did they call this great community of Christians under one common head? This is called the Catholic or universal church, or in one word, the church. So the the idea Catholic, we, we tend to think of it as, well, that's just an, a name that we put on, on the front of our churches. But Catholic means that it is universal. It means that it is everywhere the same. And I remember hearing a, a story from one of my uncles, which I thought was a very good example of this, is that he was in the Navy and he was traveling all over Europe. And he was with a Protestant friend and he decided, oh, I'm going to go to Mass. It's Sunday. I'm going to go to Mass. Well, they were in Italy. And the the idea, his Protestant friend was very surprised that here this American who doesn't speak a word of Italian is going to go to a church where, well, you would expect them all to say Italian, to speak Italian. And so he went along just to see what it was like. And that was, of course, in the days before before Vatican II. So my uncle opened up his American printed missile and he was able to follow along every single word and action that the priest did. And that, that was something that astonished his Protestant friend very much is that he could, as an American, go into a church anywhere in the world and the mass would be the same. And that that is a an idea of what it means to be universal is that everything is the same. The sacraments are the same. The doctrine is the same. The disciplines are the same. And that's that's what Catholic really means. And so the Novus Ordo, in that sense, is, is not Catholic because everywhere you go, it's different. You have Mass in English or the narration of the institution of the Eucharist in English, or you have it in French or German or Spanish or Italian. And some places you might have balloons, in other places you might have bunnies, in other places clowns. So it's not really the same everywhere, except that everywhere you go, there's something wrong with it. So <laughs> That's, there's one unified, uh, <laughs> unifying factor. <laughs> That's the only unifying factor that you can get in the Novus Ordo. And Protestants too, they're the same. They, they cannot claim the title of Catholic or universal because everywhere you go, they're different. So much so that the Anglican Church had to change its name when it came to the United States because the Americans didn't like the idea <laughs> of being subject to the king or queen of England after the War of Independence. So it had to be changed to Episcopalian. <laughs> so in this country, the Episcopalians are essentially the same as the Anglicans, but they are the American version, and they're different because they don't recognize the king or queen of Great Britain as the head of their church. So and all of the Protestant sects are different depending on where you are in the world and what the the national temper is and what they consider to be useful. So the Catholic notion of the church is very, very important for finding out the Church of Christ, because Christ founded the Church 
under the direction of the apostles, or the, the apostles were responsible for the spread of, of the Church of Christ. And it has to be the same, because if, if a church says two different or contradictory things, it cannot come from, from Christ, because Christ is, is truth. As, as God, God is truth. There is no falsehood in God. So to have two groups which say contradictory things and both claim to be the, the truth of Christ, one of them is not. And it's, it's very important to look at the, the universality or the Catholicity of the, the religion. And so the, the Catholic attribute of the Church is very important. In this episode, we have covered the beginning of the Catholic Church, her structure and unity. We leave the next question for next time. What then is the church even at the present time? I want to thank Father Philip Eldrocker for his time and being with us on this episode. All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful, and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Jason Gordiano. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.